Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. We're in our series, Kingdom Living in a Fallen World. How do you live in this world with kingdom living? Well, we know the example of that is the Lord Jesus Christ. For whenever God decided to invade this lost world with the kingdom of heaven, he sent the best he had. And the best he had was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he sent him in to invade this world and to impact the kingdom of this world, this lost world, with the kingdom of heaven. So understanding what Jesus did and why he came is very, very important. So I ask you the question this morning. What is or was the ultimate purpose of Jesus coming? What was the ultimate purpose of Jesus coming out of heaven into this world? If you had to name one thing, what is the ultimate purpose? It's very important that you understand what the ultimate purpose of Jesus coming to this world is all about. It, it wasn't... It wasn't to heal the sick, even though that was a great work that he did. You understand that? It wasn't wasn't to feed the 5,000 or 4,000, even though that was a marvelous thing he did. It wasn't to do miracles, such as walking on the water or even calling a dead man from the grave. It wasn't to teach, even though he was the greatest teacher and preacher there ever was, as he preached there at the Sermon on the Mount, and John tells us if we were to write down all that he said, we couldn't hold, the world could not hold the book, great teacher that he was. And and it wasn't even to reveal, ultimately, what God is like and what man is supposed to be like. The ultimate purpose of Jesus is something different from any of those things. And how do we know what it is? Because John tells us, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who is preparing the way, the one who lets the world know he's coming. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is about to invade this world. John lets us know what the ultimate purpose of Jesus is. You find it in the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. Listen to what it says. John 1, 29. These are the words of John the Baptist about Jesus. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, here it is, who takes away the sin of the world. Underline that in your Bible. You need to underline to put a few stars by it because that one statement is the ultimate purpose of why Jesus came. Jesus came as the Lamb of God to do what? To take away the sin of the world. To take away the sin of mankind. To to take away the sin of individual lives. To take away, you can write your name there. I've told you before. You can write your name right there. To take away your sin. That's why I came. So in all of your study, in all of your thinking, in all of your Uh, focusing on Jesus, if you miss the fact that he came here to deal with the issue of sin, which is all of our problem, 
All of us have the problem of sin. If you forget that he came here to deal with the issue of sin and to take away your sin, take away your sin so that you can have a relationship with holy God, so that you can go to heaven one day, so that you can live eternally in that place God's preparing for you, that all has to take place because he takes away your sin. Well, if that being the truth, then what did Jesus teach us about this matter of taking away sin? Don't you think that's important to learn? What what did Jesus teach us about him taking away sin? How many of you remember when you were growing up that that you, there was the Roman road of salvation. You remember that? You remember the Roman road? How many of you remember the, about the Roman road? You go in there, you take verses of Scripture. Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, Romans 5, 8, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And boy, you can walk right through there. And the Apostle Paul made it very clear how a person can be saved and how their sin can be forgiven. It's a wonderful, and I still use it today, it's a wonderful presentation of the gospel. But wait a minute, that's what Paul is writing about how a person is saved. What Paul is writing is truth. But what did Jesus say? If Paul said those things, how could Paul say those things unless Jesus had said those things? Unless Jesus taught those things. So I want us to see today some truths that Jesus revealed about this matter of taking away sin. The first thing I want us to see is that Jesus revealed that all of mankind is sinful. All of mankind is sinful. That goes along with what Paul said in Romans 3.23. Remember what it says in Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a great, concise statement. But what does Jesus say, and how did Jesus reveal that we were all sinners? Turn to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, there's the story... In the first part of that chapter of an adulterous woman. You remember that story? They had caught an adulterous woman committing sin. And they bring this adulterous woman, all those spiritual leaders and religious leaders, they drag this adulterous woman in the presence of Jesus. They're they're dragging her there because they want to entrap Jesus. This is a test for Jesus. They're trying to make Jesus stumble somehow, some way. But they're going to ask him, what should we do with this woman? Well, the law had said that every person who sins deserves to die and that a woman found in adultery that she should be stoned. And so they were wanting Jesus to say to them, take her out and stone her. They they were wanting to force his hand regarding that. But Jesus, the Son of God, in all of his wisdom, what did he do whenever they came and approached him about this adulterous woman? I've always had the question, where was the adulterous man? I mean, if they caught them in the act, there was somebody else involved in that, right? So why did they just bring this woman up here? Because they're not concerned about the law. They're not concerned about it. They want to find out what Jesus is going to say. They want to entrap Jesus. So, so what did Jesus do? Look, in, in chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. Listen now. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground. 
And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she had been in the midst, and straightened up and said, Woman, where are your accusers? There are none. Well, go and sin no more. What does this passage tell us? It tells us that Jesus easily revealed to all of those religious leaders and the ones who would, you would expect to be the one who are the highest of all people in their morals. He says to them, which one of you is without sin? Which one of you is without sin? Which one of you is perfect? Which one of you has never done anything wrong? Well, whoever it is that is without sin... I want you to know you're the one who cast the first stone. <laughs> and one of the parts, I, I wish some things had been written in the Word of God it didn't record, but you know, it says before he ever said anything, he stoops down and he writes in the sand. And, and then when he gets up and says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone, and he bends back down and he writes outside. Wouldn't you like to know what he was writing? Wouldn't you like to know? I, I, this, is not, this is my commentary, not biblical commentary, but I would kind of like to think that he's writing down just specific sins. He's kind of writing down about lying, stealing, cheating, and murder, and adultery. and Just writing those things. All he has to do is write in the sand and wipe it off. But as he would be writing those things, they're all looking at what? At that thing that might be their sin. That might be the point that identifies that they're a sinner. And every one of those religious leaders, one by one, beginning with the oldest, because the oldest ought to be the one who's the wisest, and the wisest of all people knows that we are all sinners. Beginning with the wisest, going to the youngest, one by one, they left the adulterous woman. Nobody cast a stone. Nobody was her accuser, because why? Jesus helped people to understand Everyone is a sinner. Do you realize that? It wasn't just in that day that everybody's a sinner. Everybody's a sinner today. We're all sinners. None of us can cast a stone at anybody, even though we do. Even though we do. You're not qualified. Because the only one who's qualified is that one who is without sin. And there's none without sin. Jesus didn't have to state the principle. He practically revealed it to them that none of them were without sin. And that's where Paul gets the idea. That's where Paul can state the fact that we're all sinners. All of us have sinned. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. And when Jesus came to take care of the sin problem in this world and take away the sin of the world, he was doing it for each and every one of us. Because none of us were without sin. Something else he revealed to us. He revealed to us that there was something distinctly different about him than anybody else in the world. Let me show you that. Look in John chapter 8, same chapter, verse 46. This is what Jesus says to these, this group of people, these Jews. And, and he's in confrontation with them. They're trying to trap him in any way. This is what he says. Which one of you 
convicts me of sin. If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? You hear what? Jesus just laid it out and said, okay, I want you to tell me this. Which one of you can say one thing I've ever done that I've sinned? Which one of you can convict me of sin? This is early in his ministry. Later, whenever they're trying to try him, there's nobody who could bring a charge against him unless they lied about it. They had to pay people to lie against Jesus. Because no one could convict him of sin because he was distinctly different from this world and the fact that he was not a sinner. He never committed sin. And therefore, no one could convict him of sin because he was absolutely perfect, distinctly different. Than all of us. He, how is that? Because he comes from a different place. He, he tells us that. Look there in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 verse 23. He tells you why he's different. Why he doesn't commit sin. He says, and he was saying to them. You are from below. And I am from above. You are of this world. But I am not of this world. How is it that he can say he is without sin and he lets everybody else know they are in sin? How can Jesus say that? He said, because we originate from two different places. You originate from this world. And Paul says that in Romans chapter 5. He says that we're all of the seed of Adam. And as Adam sinned, every one of us have sinned as well. That sinful nature that Adam had, we all bear that sinful nature and it causes us to sin. And if you are of this world, born of this world, you are going to sin. You don't have to practice it. You don't have to learn how to do it. You came here knowing how to do it. We just learned how to perfect it. Right? You're a little slow this morning. Have you learned how to perfect your sin? How do you perfect sin? You sin and don't think you did it. You sin in such a way that you've got it whitewashed and it doesn't convict you. You have an excuse for your sin. That's how you perfect your sin. You don't bear the guilt of that sin, even though you are guilty of that sin. And why is that we sin? Because we are of this world. Why is it Jesus said, no one can convict me of sin? I haven't sinned. I haven't done it. Because he is not of this world. He is from above. He was born not of the seed of Adam. He was born of the seed of God. The Holy Spirit of God conceiving in Adam. Mary and bringing forth a holy seed and sin is not in him and he never committed sin he is totally absolutely different from us and it's Jesus who says that not me Jesus says the reason that I haven't sinned is because I am not of this world and thank God he's not of this world why because if he were of this world and he were a sinner like you and I are sinners then the only person sin he could pay for is his own He can't pay for anybody's sin if he's a sinner. He has to pay the sin debt of himself. But because he's not of this world, but he is of the higher world and of the kingdom of heaven, and he comes here and he's absolutely perfect, when he dies and pays the price for sin, he doesn't pay it for himself because he had never sinned. Therefore, he can pay it for you and for me. So thank God that Jesus is distinctly different than we are. Jesus said, I am different I am different what did Paul say Romans chapter 5 verse 8 what did he say God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners 
He sent his son. His son from heaven. He's from a different kingdom. He sent his son to die in our place. How could Paul say Romans 5, 8? Because Jesus said it. I'm distinctly different. I'm distinctly different. I have no sin. Therefore, I'm qualified to pay the price for your sin. Well, Jesus also tells us the result of sin. What happens whenever you sin? And we all have sinned. What is the result of sin? It's what it says in, in chapter 8. Chapter 8 of John. Chapter 8 of John, verse number 24. The very next verse. And I said therefore to you, that you shall... Wait a minute, what did it say? You shall, underline it, die in your sins. What's going to happen to a sinner? You're going to die in your sins. Well, what, did, what did Paul say on that Roman road? Y'all remember that? Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Well, how in the world could Paul say the wages of sin is death? Because Jesus said, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. And you shall die in your sin. If something doesn't happen in your life, something doesn't change your status, someone doesn't take away your sin, you are going to die in your sin. And that death is not just physical death, that death is an eternal death. That death is a forever death away from the presence of God. And Jesus says right there, He says, I said therefore to you, you shall die. In your sins. But, but wait a minute. Go back. You remember Romans 6, 23? There's, the, there's a, a but in that sentence. You remember that? For the ways of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm glad that but is in there. Amen? I'm glad that, I'm glad that, that, that makes a really horrible beginning a very good beginning well jesus does the same thing here in john chapter 8 verse 24 he says i said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins wait a minute for unless you believe that i am he that he's capitalized in my bible i hope it's capitalized in yours he he's saying that i hope you understand that i am god i am God's son. I'm from a different kingdom. I've invaded this world from a different place. I'm from above. I'm not like you. But, but for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Well, what's the reverse of that? Reverse of that. But if you do believe that I am the son of God, you do not have to die in your sin. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to do it even if you don't. You do not have to die in your sins if you believe in me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for doing whatever you needed to do, whereby I do not have to suffer the wages of the sin and death, but I can have the gift of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through what Jesus did. But you know what Jesus went on to reveal about sin? 
he also talked about the power of sin. He talked the power of sin. It's found here in, in that John chapter 8 passage. It's, it begins here in, in verse 30. Well, let's start from 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, saying, We are of Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Now, listen to what it says in verse 34. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. What? Once you commit sin, you have lost your freedom. Once you commit sin, you have now become a slave of sin. Sin has a power to dominate you and to control you and to dictate in your life what sin would want to do. What sin or Satan or the power or forces of darkness would want to do. Sin has a power to enslave you. You don't have to read far in the Bible to understand that. Go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, it's when Cain kills Abel. You remember that story? The first murder that ever happened in the Bible. The first horrible sin other than what David, what was recorded about Adam and Eve. Here's his sin of murder. And you know what, God, whenever Cain kills Abel, do you know what God comes and tells him? He says, listen, you can make this right. You can make your heart right because that sin within him was causing him to dislike and hate Hate Abel, want to do something to him. You can do this. You can make this right. But he said, if you do not make this right, talking about his offer before God, sin crouches at the door. It crouches at your door. Verse 7 of chapter 4. To overtake you. He gives a personification. It's the idea of of taking something like sin and, and makes it alive like it's a lion sitting outside the door. And if you go outside that door and you don't do something about it, It is going to encase you and control you and overpower you. That's what sin does. You know what what Cain did? He refused to make his heart right, and it overpowered him. It didn't just crouch at the door. It grabbed hold of him and caused him to kill his brother. Caused him to kill his brother, to murder his brother, then to try to hide it. Why would Cain ever have done that? Because sin has a power to enslave. Sin has a power to enslave. You should never look at anybody anywhere in this world and say, boy, they're a wretched sinner and sorry, and I would never do that. Don't ever say you won't ever do anything. Save the grace of God, you can do whatever. Because that's the power of sin. And and then Jesus said there is this power of sin that enslaves you. Now, none of us want to recognize that. In your flesh right now, in your flesh right now, I hope you understand what your flesh is. That's your old nature about you that's not of God. In your flesh right now, you don't want to accept that. Matter of fact, some of you got the hair standing on the back of your neck right now because you didn't like that. That sin could actually enslave you and empower you and control you. You don't like that because you want to feel like you are free. You feel like you have power and you're in control. You're not. You're not. And you're not the first person who's trying to convince yourself you're in control when you're not 
You know what the Jews said? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know what those Jews said to him? What are you talking about, us being free? We're the sons of Abraham, and we have never yet been enslaved. Where did they live? What history did they know? 95% of their existence was slavery. I mean, in the book of Exodus, they're they're held slaves by Egypt. For 400 years, they're in Egypt, and it takes Moses and miracles to get them out of there. Amen? And then whenever the northern kingdom becomes an ungodly kingdom, the Assyrians defeat them and carry them off in slavery. And the, the southern kingdom, Judah, didn't learn anything about it. For a few years later, the Babylonians defeated them and carried them off in slavery. And it was only the fact that Cyrus gave a decree to let them come back to build the temple and to build Jerusalem back that they're even in existence at that point in time. And even as they say that in their mouth, they're under slavery and dominion of the Roman Empire and can only do what Rome lets them do. But they say, we have never been enslaved. But don't make fun of them. Because I've met many a person who is enslaved by sin who will never admit they're enslaved. They still think they're in charge. They still think they dictate what they're going to do. The words of Jesus are this. If you have sinned, you are a slave of sin. You are a slave of sin. But here's that good news again. What did it say the first part of that? But if you abide in my word, and you are truly disciples of mine, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall... Well, what? Do what? The truth shall set you free. If you believe in the Son of God, if you'll become a disciple of the Son of God, if you'll abide in his word, he will set you free from the dominion of sin. It does not have to overpower you. Paul in Romans 7 talks about that he's a wretched man. And the things he wants to do, he doesn't do. Things he doesn't want to do, he, wants to, he, he does. He said, I don't understand. Wretched man that I am, this body of sin and death, who will set me free. But then you come to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And it says, but therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8 is all about how to be set free from the dominion of sin by the power of the Spirit of God, which you enjoyed because you believed in Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I don't know if you are enjoying this, but I, I'm, I'm enjoying the fire out of this. I just really am. I mean, that, that's, that's some of the greatest truths. It's not Paul talking to us. It's not Peter talking to us. It's not somebody else explaining something to us. It's Jesus telling us that. From the words and the mouth of Jesus. Well, Jesus also revealed how he would take away sin. How he would take away sin. It's found in John chapter 3. We we saw it earlier when we went through there, but I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it because I knew we'd get back to this. He tells us how this is going to happen, how he will take away sin. Would you like to know how he's going to take away sin? He lets you know that. He says it too when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse number, I'm again reading in 13, but 14 is the key. It says, and no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. Who's that? Jesus talking about himself, amen? Look what he says in verse 14. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, if you want to know the story of that serpent in the wilderness, it's found in Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, you find out that the children of Israel were rebellious. You find out that they were complaining. It says in verse 5, they spoke against God and Moses, saying, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They're questioning God's motive. It goes, For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this miserable manna. That's what they're saying. Uh, that's kind of brass, isn't it? I mean, brass. You, you say that to God? Uh, you, need, you need to be careful what you say to God. Amen? And they're just complaining to God. We, we loathe this miserable manna you've given us. Wow. That would have been the last one they picked it up. If I'd have been God, amen. I'm glad I'm not God. I'm glad, God I, I, I'm glad God's far more patient than I am. I'm glad you're not God either. He's far more patient. But here, when they speak against God and Moses, that's what happens. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of Israel died. So the people came to Moses, verse 7, listen, and said, We have sinned. We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord, and you intercede with the Lord and he, that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses intercede for them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it up on a standard. It shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it up on the standard. It came about if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. How is that? They had sinned, and, and whenever they sinned, they were bit by a serpent, and they were going to die from that serpent's bite. The only hope they had is God said, raise up, make a fiery serpent out of bronze, put it up on a staff, and raise it up. And if somebody gets bit by a fiery serpent because of their sin, they're going to die unless they look at that. But if they will look at that by faith, believing that what I've told them to do, that they will be saved, they shall live. It was a statement of faith. Are you going you to believe what God says about looking at that staff with that bronze serpent on there that it will save you? There's nothing in the world about a bronze serpent being on a staff that will save anybody from a bite of a snake. Except that God's word said it. And he said in the same way the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. He's going to hang between heaven and earth. He's hanging between heaven and earth and that is going to be the payment and the price of sin. But if any man, whenever he is bitten by sin, overpowered, overcome by sin, if he will look upon the Son of Man who hangs on that cross, he will live. If he'll believe, if he'll believe that when he looks on that Son of Man, that Son of God, Jesus Christ, hanging on that cross... Believing that what he is doing, he is doing for them. He shall live. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans 10, 9 and 10? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, you shall be saved. You what? 
If you look on the Son of Man, you look on Jesus, believe that He's the Lord and Savior, and you confess that with your mouth and your life, you shall live even though you deserve to die. You shall live. How could that be? How could it be that a man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago can forgive me, save me from my sin, keep it from controlling me, and give me a place in heaven and forgive me of who I am? How can that happen? Because God's Word said so. Jesus said so. That's how it happens. So Jesus already foretold that he would be hanging on a cross between heaven and earth, whereby he would pay the price for your sin. I want to give you a couple of other very quick little additional truths about this matter of sinners. In John chapter 9, in John chapter 9, verse 31, this is the story of the healing of the blind man. And in, in that story, there are three truths very quickly I want to tell you about that Jesus says about sin. The, the first one of those is found in John chapter 9, verse 31. Verse 31. This is what these Jews and the Jewish leaders said to Jesus about God. Verse 31. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. That's not true. You need to mark that in your Bible. That's not Jesus saying that. That's what the Pharisees and all were saying. The religious leaders were saying. Now let me tell you what the truth of the matter is. Aren't we glad that God answers the prayers of sinners? All right? If God doesn't answer the prayers of sinners, then we're all hopeless and helpless. Because whenever we're going to ask him to save us from our sin, we are sinners praying to God. Here's one thing God has promised. Anytime, anywhere that a sinner will pray to him and ask him to forgive them of their sin and to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and ask him to be Lord of their life, he will hear and he will forgive. That's what Paul said there in Romans again. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? (laughs) So lost sinners calling upon the Son of God, he will save them. Now the truth of the matter is, beyond that prayer of, of the sinner confessing their sin before God and asking for salvation, God makes no promise to answer any any person, any sinner's prayer. He doesn't obligate himself at all. You'll see people who are without Christ, they'll say, well, I prayed and God answered that prayer. God does not obligate himself to answer anybody's prayers except those who are part of the family of God. He tells his children that they can pray in his name and he will answer their prayers. He doesn't say that to lost people. Now, God may do that, Or he may not do that. That's based on the grace of God. Amen? But the difference is God obligates himself by his promises to answer the prayers of his children. And he has obligated himself to answer the prayer of the lost man or woman who will ask for forgiveness. So what they said was not exactly true. The thing I want you to see about it is found in John chapter 9. John chapter 9 verse 2. They were coming and they see this blind man. He says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. What does that tell us about sin? 
Because if a person faces infirmity or struggles in life, it's not necessarily that it's that person's sin. If you, if you face a struggle in life, it's not, well, I sin and God's getting punishing me. Jesus said right there, this man is blind, not because this man sinned or his parents sinned, but this man is blind to reveal the glory of God. Now, why is somebody blind? Why, why does somebody suffer? Some, why does somebody have agony? Why is there infirmity in life? Not because that person sinned, but because sin is in the world. Sin is in the kingdom of the world, and sin being in this world will cause sorrowful things to happen. That's why when we get to go to heaven, it's going to be great because there aren't going to be any of those things anymore. Amen? And one final thing I want you to see in John chapter 9, verse 41. It says, Jesus said to them, those religious leaders, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. You know what that tells us? It it says, greater, it, it tells us this. Greater the understanding, greater the accountability. Now that speaks to us today. I hope you don't know another thing, you understand this. Greater the understanding, greater the accountability. Jesus told those religious leaders, if you were blind, if you were blind, you didn't have any understanding at all, then, then you wouldn't be held responsible or accountable for your sin. If you were in a state where you didn't understand, What's been said, you wouldn't be held accountable. That's why we, believe, we know that babies, whenever they die, or infants, before they ever get a chance to reach, reach the age of accountability, decide right and wrong, that God says he takes them into heaven. That's why special people who don't have the ability to understand right and wrong and rationalize, God's going to take them into heaven. But he says this, but whenever you do understand, you're going to be held accountable. And the more you understand, the greater the accountability And bless God, we have no excuse. Where we live and what we grew up in and what we have in our day and time, you can get the Word of God, hear the Word of God 24 hours a day. Anywhere you want to hear it, anywhere, go where you want to go, I want to hear it tell you. We have the opportunity to understand, so greater is our accountability. We're going to have to give an answer before Almighty God if we have received all this understanding. And yet we continue to walk in sin without coming to the Son of God and asking Him to forgive us of our sin. Jesus came with the ultimate purpose of dealing with sin. Dealing with your sin and my sin to take it away. The greatest thing that ever happened in my life happened when I was only seven years old. And that is I prayed and asked Jesus, come into my heart and he took away my sin he paid the price for my sin i've never had to worry about that sin anymore now does that mean that i never sinned again no i sin every day but that has been paid for on the cross the blood of jesus continuously cleanses me (laughs) and he's going to do that until i get to glory amen but i know this he has taken away my sin I can't describe what that was like. A seven-year-old boy, the only way I could express it was tears flowing down my face, and I couldn't explain why I was crying. It wasn't because I was sad. It wasn't because I was scared. It wasn't because of anything. It, It was just something in my heart to know for the first time in my life, even though just seven years old, that God had taken away my sin. 
Has he done that for you? That's what he came to do. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.